this is Current Yield Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I am Jim Grant, and with me as always is um, Evan Lorenz, the great deputy editor of Grant's. We are going to talk today with um, Eric Cinnamon, and I am I am persuaded that uh, we will be recording because Henry is at the controls as usual, and uh, all things are set to go. So, uh, Evan, I want to begin by observing to you that um, uh, the Wall Street Journal appears to have uh, bugged Office of Grants Interest Rate Observer. And I say this because this morning, the Wall Street Journal published something that, that you yourself wrote last evening. If flattery is the sincerest uh, form of imitation, or if imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, um, they gave us a great compliment. Yeah. Well, tell tell the uh, tell our, our listeners what they copied and uh, and what legal steps we are taking to prevent uh, this from happening. Okay, go on. Well, I think we're uh, in line to sue Rupert Murdoch after some other prominent figures in uh, in America. Um, the, the the story is essentially the Fed is actually controlling interest rates through a facility that actually exacerbates bank runs. So prior to the um, housing bust in 2007 through 2009, the Fed would actually nudge interest rates by buying or selling short-term treasuries in order to impact the rate that banks would lend their excess reserves to one another, uh, either up or down. This worked well in the decade ending 2007 when excess reserves averaged uh, 1.7 billion with a B. However, this system broke down over the course of uh, easy monetary policy. And by 2013, when the Fed was in the midst of its third round of quantitative easing, excess reserves, you know, topped $2 trillion. So the Fed introduced the uh, RRP, or the Reverse Repurchase uh, Facility. In the RRP, the Fed actually borrows against its gargantuan uh, securities portfolio in order, to set, in order to set a floor under rates. The idea being, if you're a money market fund and you can actually lend to the Fed, which has a printing press and therefore is not going to uh, you know, renege on its loan, then you're not going to lend to somebody else who doesn't have a printing press at a lower rate. And using this, the Fed was able to raise interest rates to, I think, 4.83% as we're going to press from eight basis points at the end of 2021. The only problem is money that gets locked into the RRP is for all intents uh, and purposes locked off from the financial system. So let's think of a bank run without the RRP. If you, a depositor at Silicon Valley Bank, were worried about Silicon Valley Bank, you might take your deposits to JP Morgan. In that case, it's bad for the California lender, but overall bank uh, deposits are changing. Or you might go off and buy a treasury saying, I don't wanna take any bank risk whatsoever. Now, in that case, you, would take deposits out of the system, but the person who sold you those treasuries would actually get your deposits and probably deposit them in another bank. It really wouldn't lead to a net change in kind of the funding system for the uh, for the for the finan- for the banking market. However, with the RRP, if you take your money and put it into a money market fund, and that money market fund then parks at the Fed, that money is locked off from the entire banking system. So, in order to control rates, the Fed has actually created a system that encourages bank runs at times of crisis. Oh, well done, Fed. That's part of the Fed's uh, powerful tools, is it not? Yeah, uh, to, uh, as both the uh, arsonist and uh, firefighter. Yeah, a dual mandate. One of these days, we're going to have Jay Powell on this program. You know, I, I have been, uh, he's, uh, he is a most unsatisfying sparring partner. He never raises his hands. I don't think I've ever been jabbed by Jay Powell. But goodness knows we've landed some fine hooks and straight right hands and combinations all over the Federal Open Market Committee. But they pretend not to notice is, uh, I must say, a little bit discouraging. However, uh, uh, not unlike the Palm Valley Capital Fund, we are at Grants. We're patient, we're opportunistic, we're disciplined, we're focused on absolute returns, and we are bloody-minded. And I think the last descriptor especially uh, pertains to our special guest today, Eric Cinnamond, who is one of three founders of this fund that uh, uh, most most uh, unusually um, seeks out good businesses trading at reasonable prices and invest in them for the long run. Have you ever heard about this before? It's an intriguing idea. 
I, I think it might just work if somebody give it up. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds good. Anyway, Eric, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor. I've uh, been following you for since uh, the early never mind, 90s. Never so mind this the is, years. Never mind the years. This is great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, uh, so uh, tell tell the listeners, if you would please, Eric Sinhalan, what Palm Valley Capital Management does and how long you've been doing it and with what level of success? Well, we are an absolute return strategy that focuses on small cap stocks. And what that means is we are trying to achieve an attractive absolute return over a full market cycle. And to do that, you know, since I've been running this strategy or have been in the industry, we've been in uh, periods of rotating asset bubbles. So we've had extraordinary heights of valuation. And then during the bust, we've had very attractive valuations. So during these periods, we've had to, uh, to achieve our goals, had to hold uh, large positions in cash, T-bills. And then in other periods, we've had to get invested quickly uh, as the cycles end. Um, so for us, you know, it's, you know just as you, you introduced us, um, we're very flexible, opportunistic, and uh, extremely different. Uh, you know, the investment management industry has, uh, you know, since I've, since I've started in, I guess, 1993, really transformed into, uh, you know, passive, obviously, uh, index-centric and, and relative investing. Um, so the absolute return mindset, you know, don't lose money, you know, make money, of course, but let's let's try not to lose money first and foremost. Uh, that has kind of gone away as as people have uh, lost assets, jobs, funds. You know, some have passed away. <laughs> so we're we're uh, the three of us. You know, Jamie Wiggins, uh, Frank Martin, and myself. We've uh, formed Palm Valley to uh, try to keep the uh, flame lit of absolute return investing. And um, so far, so good. We're we're pretty happy with uh, how things have gone so far. Well, that sounds a little, uh, a little diffident to me, if I may say so. So, uh, you started in what year? Uh, to, well, the fund was uh, launched in April two thousand nineteen. Uh, the firm in two thousand eighteen. So uh, we're, we're young, you know. We're, we're all about four years now. Uh, we launched in eighteen with the thought being that this has been one of the most extraordinary market cycles in history. Uh, small cap valuations have never been more expensive, and we think on the um, you know this cycle concludes. We believe strongly that we're going to we're going to see some some very attractive uh, opportunities. But so, so you you you, you launched at uh, at the top with the least attractive opportunities, and nevertheless, yes. in those in those we were, in those we, four <laughs> years, or nice timing, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So we like yeah we launched we launched when there was absolutely no value. <laughs> and, and those four years, you have generated what kind of returns compared to the uh, monkeys who oh, so the competition that is. Uh, Riding the wave and is indifferent to valuation. What have you returned versus the S and P five hundred? Um, I'm not sure about the S and P. You know, we don't we don't follow the large caps very closely. But you know, we've achieved uh, I think seven point six percent annually, which doesn't sound like a lot. Um, but keep in mind the small caps are up about four to six percent depending on the benchmark you use. But what's interesting about that comparison, and again, we're absolute returns, so we're not overly concerned about relative, but What's interesting about that is over that period, we've averaged being invested about 20, 25%. You know, so we're, we're mid 70 range uh, cash over that period. So we've 
taking considerably less risk to, to generate those type of returns. Um, you know, we went into COVID with with a very large weight of cash because we weren't finding a lot of value. Um, we were, you know, we were able to, to act decisively or, or quickly when valuations improved during the COVID uh, decline. You know, small caps fell over 40%, able to get half the uh, strategy invested. Of course, the Fed came to the rescue. Uh, you know, we're still a little bitter about that. <laughs> we think we could have been fully invested, but they decided to buy corporate bonds. And I, I think that uh, that day was uh, kind of short-circuited our, 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 our buy programs. So, uh, yeah, so we've, we've done pretty well, you know, and, and, you know, this is not the way we look at it. We launched this for the main event and we're, we definitely do not believe, um, you know, the declines you saw in 2020 or the recent volatility is the main event. You know, we're, we're up 600% from the cycles lows, um, you know, and these 20% drawdowns just, I don't think that's how a cycle ends, but we could be wrong. Could you talk to us about this current moment of the cycle, because it seems to violate one of the truism in Wall Street, which is that you can have good prices or good no news, but not both. Right now, we have uh, good, uh, we have extraordinarily high pri prices and extraordinarily bad news. Almost every time I uh, open up the Bloomberg, it's job numbers are down. Um, the ISMs for manufacturing or non-manufacturing services are disappointing. It, it seems like we have an economy that's slowing, and we're not having the, the, the compensatory uh, factor of cheap stock prices. No, you're right. So, you know, one of the things we do is we have a, our opportunity set. It's a buy list of about 300 names, small cap stocks. We follow those very closely. And every quarter, you know, we go through the calls and quarterly reports and get a very good feel for where we are in the economic and profit cycle because we normalize profits. So knowing where you are in the profit cycle is very important. So with these 300 names, um, you know, after every quarter, I think we get a pretty good feel for where we are, are in the economy. And I I would say that things are slowing uh, for sure, uh, but you know you still have uh, elevated asset prices. Home prices remain very high, uh, especially over the past few years. Uh, you have pretty easy comps against COVID, which you know people forget that it's January, February of last year. So Q1 probably won't look too bad, especially with with the weather. Uh, what we're really interested in is q2 uh outlooks which i think will be will be interesting and a little more telling where i think q2 might give us a little more um a, a better picture of what's going on uh and then q1 too some of the drags will be uh tax refunds are going to be a little less um inventory destocking will continue and then the effect of accumulated inflation uh, which i think is a very important variable uh where we are in the in the profit cycle and consumer demand, uh, that's going to continue to weigh on results. So I think you're right. The trend is is lower. Um, asset prices may remain inflated. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the Federal Reserve and their powerful tools, which really is just money printing. You know, <laughs> if, if you don't behave, we're going to print money and you better get in line. Um, so, so you're right. Uh, Things are starting to, you know, again, we, we've talked about this in, in, in some of our writings. It feels like 2007. Um, we, we, could, we, we could see things rolling over. Yeah, I would, I would say, Eric, that in addition to the, uh, uh, the difficulties you cited, I would, I would mention also the um, collapse in the rate of growth of the broadly defined money supply. It uh, never in the post-World War II era um, expanded so fast as it did in 
2021, 22, and never in that same period has it collapsed at a rate of speed we've seen in the past year or so. So, uh, you know, that's one thing. And uh, uh, the other is the uh, is the inverted yield curve. Short-term interest rates are higher than longer-term interest rates, which for uh, many years has been um, a pretty reliable uh, portent of macroeconomic trouble. And then uh, you have the evidence of, uh, of tightening credit within the banking system, which is not so hard to imagine because, uh, of course, the banks are losing deposits and losing certainly confidence, as indeed are many of their depositors and would be uh, borrowing uh, customers. So um, Evan and I are, are on recession watch. Uh, Mr. Market himself seems to be rather more focused on the uh, powerful tools of the Federal Reserve, which may or may not come to rescue. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, the last year, many of the opportunities we were seeing were from volatility created from higher interest rates. I think going forward, you know, especially in Q2, possibly Q1, but I think definitely Q2, I think the next catalyst for opportunities within our opportunity set will be earnings, uh, where where there will be, you know, your margins are just so high. <laughs> the the uh, the COVID stimulus, uh, the asset inflation that that was created, uh, the margins of many of the companies we're following are 40 to 50% above normalized levels. So um, I think I think as, as this earnings cycle unfolds, I think the next round of opportunity will be in earnings disappointments, which, which again, we expect that to occur, if not in Q1, uh, starting in Q2. So, so we're, we're pretty optimistic. Now, Q1 is going to be tricky because, you know, asset prices did say, stay elevated, uh, housing stabilized somewhat. Um, so I, I don't see this like an 08 air pocket. You know, I, I again, view this more like an 07. Um, the, the economy and profits are on watch. So you've been in the investment industry for 30 years. Um, after a decade and a half of uh, easy monetary policy, I believe something like a third of all Russell 2000 companies are actually losing money. At the same time, you also have a large cohort of companies that are earning super normal margins. How thin are the pickings when you kind of look at the universe that you you know hunt for stocks in, and how does that compare to the thirty years that you've been in the business? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, yeah, and I think Evan, now it's closer to fifty percent companies that, uh, in Russell that are losing money. It's a it's a very nasty benchmark. You know, I wouldn't if I know there's a lot of index huggers out there and people that buy ETFs. I would you know personally I would avoid Russell two thousand. Uh, it's not not exactly high quality. There's there's a lot of junk in there. Um, but yeah, the uh, our, our our opportunity set, you know, it's it's based on um, more mature businesses that have been through many cycles. Uh, they typically have gained market share throughout throughout each cycle. There's something high quality about them. Uh, they tend to have better balance sheets because they're survivors. Uh, but I one one of the the themes we've noticed o- over this cycle has been the sharp increase in corporate debt and leverage. And I would argue that the R opportunity set, while it, it's still around 300 names, I think the quality on the balance sheets has declined over the past decade. Uh, there's many companies that have uh, that that once for generations had just pristine balance sheets. They're very proud of their balance sheets, uh, and whether a new generation of management came in or just the pressure, you know, that we get oftentimes, and apparently bankers have gotten too <laughs> recently is always, you always have to do something, right? And uh, I think the pressure of 
a cycle that's lasted 14 years um, has pressured many managers of com- in companies that once had great balance sheets to capitulate, make large acquisitions. You know, there's Gorman Rupp, Civil's uh, GRC. It's a, one of the market leaders in sewage pumps and construction pumps. Uh, they once had a fabulous balance sheet. Now it's it's full of debt due to an acquisition. Uh, Heartland Express, uh, they broke my heart. I mean, when they they acquired and levered, they they went for many years with a debt free balance sheet. You know, Patterson UTI, uh, PTEN, they are a land driller. I bought a big slug of them in the financial crisis of 09. They had a great balance sheet. Today they have debt and uh, a lot more equipment. Um, and then you have the buybacks and dividends this cycle. You know, you have the big lots of the world, the Haynes Brands, Scott's Miracle Grow. These are all companies that uh, bought back tremendous hundreds of millions of dollars of stock and paid out uh, very attractive dividends. And now they find themselves in a pickle. Uh, they're having to refinance 4% debt. They're taking on 9% debt. Um, and they are just inflexible now. And that's another wonderful thing about liquidity that we always appreciate running money is having flexibility. But many of these companies with these balance sheets that have levered up, you, you, sometimes you only have one chance. You have one chance with the balance sheet. And then it takes you several years, if not a full cycle, to uh, re, re, uh, rebuild that balance sheet and prove that balance sheet. So, so many companies this cycle have, um, we believe, put their balance sheet in a very difficult position, uh, especially for the, when the next recession hits. What percentage invested is the Palm Valley Capital Fund? As of last disclosure, we were only 20%. And how does that stack up uh, along the four years you've been operating? Uh, we peaked at 95, and then in COVID, we got down to 50. Um, but, you know, the strategy is... So, so is, is 20 the record record low then in, in uh, investing... Twenty percent of of assets. Well, we you know at the very beginning we were ninety five percent cash. Well, yeah, so, of course, uh, but, but but since <laughs> since inception, so since after the initial, uh, yeah, is this yeah. is twenty percent the low? Yeah, we're we're uh, you know eighty percent cash is very high. <laughs> so 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 this this is this is in that respect the least attractive market you have seen, in at least in recently, right? Oh, this is the most expensive small cap market, uh, you know, I've ever seen in my career. This is after the 2022 pullback. Yeah, right. I mean, small caps, uh, you know, the Russell 2000 got down to, um, you know, nine, 980, I believe, during COVID. You know, we're now at 1750. So um, even though we've had a decline, you know, small caps were down 20% last year, but they're nowhere, I mean, nowhere near uh, attractive levels. The uh, We keep track of the valuations on our possible buy lists. And currently, the median enterprise value to EBIT is 18 times, uh, which is extraordinary. And mm. you know, we usually don't get in, interested in a, a mundane, boring, mature small cap business uh, 10 times or lower. So th- this this cycle, we believe, is a cycle if you want to normalize and uh, revert margins to normal and valuations to normal. Small caps, there's absolutely no reason they could not get cut in half from here. I mean, absolutely no reason um, just to get back to average. And, um, and that's, why we, that's why we launched. You know, we, we, didn't, we obviously didn't launch to roll T-bills. You know? So that's not fun. 
Well, T bills are five yeah. percent now. So, so well, tell me, a little t- more Eric, enjoyable now. Yeah. So, Eric, tell me about AUM, assets under management. Is of they, um, you know, what are they now? Have they grown? Are they? Are these investors of yours, are they mindful of the fact that you didn't say it, but we will say it on your behalf, that you have outperformed a heresy for an absolute return manager, but you have done better than the relevant indices over these, call them three years, right, getting past the inception uh, year. So uh, are you gaining assets, losing them? And if you're if you're losing them, have you fired your public relations counsel yet? Yeah, I think that might be me. So, um, yeah, so... You know, when we started, it was just friends and family. We had about five million under management, and Jamie and I, by government standards, were living in poverty. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, when we got on the platforms, that takes a long time. Uh, you got to, you have to have a lot of interest from advisors. Uh, but once we got on the platforms, you know, we 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 did get inflows, and they've been consistent. You know, so the fund now is a little over two hundred million, and then we have separate management accounts, uh, a little over thirty million. So we're, you know, the firm is profitable. We're, we're still small, um, but, you know, we're in a good place. We, uh, we like our positioning. We, we like how the market's set up for us. And um, no, you don't. The clients we wait, do wait, wait, have. Wait. No, you, Eric, you do not like the way the market's set up for you. This is I the do. least attractive market you have ever seen. We've established that. Now, let me, Jim, let me, it's so it's so bad. It's good. Let me get back. <laughs> let me get back to the critical question: Whether you guys are making a living? Can you send your shirts out to the laundry? Or are you still ironing them at home? Oh, I'm definitely ironing. All right. Okay. Well, in fact, that. I have last last week. I had two flat tires in my Nissan uh, Armada, and I went I went to get them fixed. And he said, um, "Yeah, you must be driving down Ponte Vedra Beach Boulevard." I said, "Yeah, I am. How did you know that?" He said, well, there's so many teardowns, you know, homes being torn down on Ponte Vedra Beach Boulevard that there's nails and screws all along that street. So that's my new uh, indicator of this cycle. You know, once once I quit getting flat tires driving down Ponte Vedra, Ponte Vedra Beach Boulevard, there'll be fewer uh, teardowns and the economy will be uh, uh, going towards we, recession. Are we talking about uh, the phenomenon that I first noticed many years ago in, in, in the affluent regions of California? Are we talking about scrapers? A scraper is a house that used to be perfectly satisfactory oh, yeah, until sure. the latest upsurge in asset values. In which case, it was it was put on the block and and scraped to the ground to make room for something even more grandiose. Is that what we're talking about? Oh, oh that's exactly what we're talking okay. about. And you know, in in two thousand six, I went around with my camera. And back then, you had a camera, you didn't have a phone, and I went and I took pictures of all the uh, condos being built in Jacksonville Beach. Um, and there were many, so I was. I wanted to document the housing bubble. Uh, this time around, it's the scrapers, as you know, uh, very nice homes being torn down and being replaced with, you know, uh, ten to twenty million dollar homes. Um, but their nails now all over the road, and and the the tire business around here is booming. And I, in fact, after I replaced my tires, I went to look up Goodyear as a long idea, but it unfortunately has too much debt for us. <laughs> I advise you to see a lawyer. To anyway, go on there. Uh, so, so a second ago, you pointed out that from the COVID lows, um, the Russell 2000 almost doubled. What, what's been driving this surge into uh, to small caps? Because as you pointed out, something like half of the Russell companies are losing money. The other half are having margins at all-time highs, which any active manager should say, maybe there's some downside here. Is it retail investors? Is it passive? Have active investors lost their collective minds? What, what are you competing against and what's driving the market? You know, I, I just think uh, how money is allocated today, there's not a lot of 
uh, bottom-up driven research or analysis and how how the allocation goes. I I think so many things are you know traded in groups, and I think the the it, we have great advisors, so I don't want to you know uh, say they're doing this, but but I think a lot of advisors that allocate a lot of money, you know, they they have certain software that looks back on history and how certain asset classes have performed and how they're correlated to one another. Uh, and then it shoots out this pie chart, this wonderful, beautiful pie chart that's in color, and they could put it on some nice paper and present it. But you have to have small caps, right? Because the performance, you know, since uh, 2009 has been very, very strong. And um, I think that the, the, the group trade, you know, the asset allocators uh, believe they have to have small caps. Um, and for us, you know, we're of the opinion that you don't have to have small caps. In fact, you don't have to have any small caps. And I think we've proven that by starting a small cap fund and not having small caps. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, now we do have some. But, um, yeah, I think I think it's just the group trade, the passive flows, and the um, really lack of bottom-up research. I mean, think about bottom-up research, the cycle. If you did that, you know, you've missed out on a lot of gains. If you've kind of been logical, rational, uh, it's probably hurt you. And what happens in these type of cycles is the capital flows to who is willing to play along, right? And if you're a bottom-up analyst and you're true to your discipline and doing valuation-based investing, it's very hard to get discounts, uh, very hard to justify small cap securities, especially the ones that are losing money. Um, so you usually lose capital. Yeah. I mean, look, look at us. We're only $200 million. Uh, that's, that's just like, that's just nothing uh, compared to the the billions and billions of right. uh, these typical small cap funds that are more tied to the benchmarks and many are have passive mandates. Okay, Eric, I want to, uh, uh, I mean, everyone, of course, ought to invest today in the Palm Valley Capital Fund, PVCMX. But um, as they do, everyone should also log into the website and read the wonderful analysis that uh, and commentary, you know, click the commentary button and uh, you'll see some of um, the, the very fine, the best writing in the whole mutual fund, the whole canon of mutual fund commentary. It's right there on the Palm Valley Capital website. And um, I, I particularly like uh, the Mr. Markets paddle, which is the uh, the current essay up, I think posted late in March. And I like it for many reasons. It's it's uh, it's wry, it is wise, it is informative. And also um, take the gloves off and pounding the Fed, this is great. And um, you quote with particular gusto, uh, the chairman Powell's comments on the November 2nd, 2022 press conference. Um, so here, here's the money quote. The money quote is kind of a pun, if it's on you know, Fed money, money quote. I, I, I get it. Okay. I didn't see eyes flash and appreciation. <laughs> okay. Quote, this is Powell. Again, if we over-tighten and we don't want to, uh, we want to get this exactly right. But if we over-tighten, then we have the ability with our tools, which are powerful, to, as we showed at the beginning of the pandemic episode, we can support economic activity strongly if that happens, if that's necessary. Close quote. So, um, the idea in this essay is that Mr. Market uh, had in the past paddled those who uh, sinned against uh, the precepts or the laws of sound investing, uh, prudence, circumspection, uh, uh, solidity, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But now it's the opposite. They're going after Eric Sinemark. They're going after the, uh, the the Dominican friars of value. Doesn't sound fair. I mean, yeah. I mean, for those that believe in free markets and capitalism, to me, when, when I heard that, um, that is a threat. 
right? I mean, that, that is threatening to to those that, that believe in uh, free markets yeah. because he is saying if we get this wrong, which obviously they've gotten inflation very wrong, so who's to say they're not going to get something else wrong? They also caused a bank run. They also uh, they inflated asset prices. They've also made housing unaffordable. They, 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 their, their sins are not just I, th- I think we can say uh, with a tip of the cap to the new baseball season, they touched all the bases. <laughs> <laughs> Touch well, them all, like, Chairman Powell. I, but a pet peeve I have right now about the Fed is their uh, devotion to reducing inflation without any mention of the inflation they've already created. You know, one of the themes we're seeing right now with the companies we follow is how accumulated inflation oh, is yes. what's driving yeah. business and consumer decision-making. Yeah. So it's not, the, the consumer doesn't say, hey, inflation went from eight to six or five. Hey, let's go out and spend. They, they feel the accumulated weight of the inflation and you know i call it the fed hit and run you know say you're at a stoplight and you see this guy driving at you money's flying out of the window and he's he's driving recklessly this monetary policy is reckless rams into the back of your car and destroys 20 percent of the value of your car and then takes off and says don't worry i'm gonna try not to do it again <laughs> there's no discussion about hey fix my car yeah. <laughs> and that's the fed they They've uh, reduced purchasing power by 20%. You know, William McChesney Martin, the uh, Fed chairman from 1951 to about 1970, uh, said at one point, one of his speeches in the mid-50s, when inflation was actually registering less than zero, uh, Martin was on the, uh, it was a century against inflation. Of course, he didn't do very well when it finally arrived. However, rhetorically, he was uh, unmatched. And what he said in 1955, I think, was um, purchasing power lost to inflation. You never get it back. You see that with the companies now. Um, no one is willing to give back the gains they've made. You know, um, you know. Obviously, labor's still pretty sticky, but but you do not. Once you get a price increase, uh, you hold on to that for dear life. You know, mm-hmm. so it's going to be very hard to reverse the damage the Fed has done, and we don't expect it. So. We believe part of the slowdown we're going to see, and we've already seen, especially on the consumer, is going to be due to the accumulated inflation, not necessarily, you know, we, we agree inflation rate is going to fall, especially with the easy comps coming up, um, but that is not enough right. to uh, bring back the consumer. Eric, tell us um, some of the uh, the stocks that you do hold. What are your, what uh, stocks pass muster in this most uh, uh, unvalue-laden market? What are you holding? Well, we have about 15 stocks, so we do own we do own some things. And uh, unfortunately, to, to talk about those, you know, some of them have worked out recently. So, uh, you know, this, as far as discounts go, yeah, uh, like many of these are, brag, aren't at yeah. large discounts. <laughs> but it, it, here's one of my favorite, and this is Jamie's idea. Uh, it's uh, Lassonde Industries, and it's a fruit uh, and beverage company, uh, food and food and beverage, mainly fruit based. Out of Canada, so so what are the, what are the areas we're finding uh, uh, discounts are in closely held businesses because they're not in large uh, large part of the benchmarks, and and you know our friends up north in Canada they just don't seem to have the the flows or the premiums on a lot of their stocks, but but Lassonde is um, a very consistent business generating uh, very good revenue growth. It's a food beverage company. Uh, the issue they're having. And it's one of the themes we we uh, invested in over the last few quarters 
is their costs were rising much quicker than their price increases. Uh, that is going to change over the next several quarters as the price increases catch up and their margins uh, revert more to normal. You know, their normalized operating margins are closer to, to 7%. Right now, they're, they're near 5%. So their earnings are in decline. They look depressed. But for us, as we normalize margins, uh, we'll use the 7% to value it. And uh, you know, we value it at $150, uh, Canadian, 150 uh, Canadian dollars. And the stock now is at 102 um, with normalized free cash flow of around 80 million Canadian dollars, uh, currently closer to, to 50 million. So, uh, so sometimes you'll see us invest in, in things where, where uh, margins are a little lower than, than where they should, they should normalize and, and eventually we believe will, will happen. But yeah, so I like I like on. We have we have a lot of uh, interesting, really good balance sheets. You know, I would I would say a theme of our our strategy right now is good balance sheets. I think um, when this cycle ends, you're going to see a lot of a lot of the financial sins come home to roost, and uh, we never want any of our companies to be at the mercy of a bank or the credit markets. So uh, I think that's going to serve us well. Eric, is there anything that you would like to hold forth about for just a couple more minutes? We have not asked or haven't gotten into. Um, no, you don't have to. I think, I think we're pretty good. I mean, I uh, we could talk about the strategy some, but that might be boring. <laughs> have we have, have we touched on the Fed? <laughs> I love. To, I I can talk about the Fed all day. Okay, so um, uh, Eric Cinnamon, thank you for being with us, and uh, I wish you and I wish Jamie Wiggins and I wish Frank Martin and all of your investors um, every good thing, and uh, may there be many of those every good things. Henry, nice to be with you. Eric, ditto. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. This is Jim Grant on behalf of Current Yield Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. 